Welcome to Ancient Tools for Modern Living, a podcast dedicated to promoting the use of ancient spiritual and contemplative practices to restore a sense of wholeness, vitality, and connection to our humanity while meeting the challenges of modern-day living. The information presented in this podcast is not a substitute for treatment from a licensed healthcare provider. And now, here's your host, Zipporah Gerson-Miller, licensed psychotherapist and certified yoga therapist. Hey everyone, and welcome to Ancient Tools for Modern Living. Today I am officially calling this episode one because it is the first episode that involves a real live interview. And my guest today is Jen Turner from the Trauma Center in Brookline, Massachusetts. Jen Turner is a licensed social worker and a registered yoga teacher. She is both a staff clinician at the Metro West Behavioral Health Center and the coordinator of the yoga program at the Trauma Center. She received her master's in clinical mental health counseling with a trauma specialization from Lesley University. Jen has experience working with adults and adolescents in outpatient clinics, partial hospitalization, and residential treatment facilities. She is also a Kripalu certified yoga teacher who leads trauma-sensitive women's yoga classes and integrates mindfulness practices and the body into her clinical work. Jen is committed to continuing ongoing training in treating complex trauma, dissociation, and addiction. I had the honor and pleasure of meeting Jen when I attended the International Association for Yoga Therapy. Um, their conference was in Newport Beach, California back in June, and we spoke, and she agreed to come on the show. She gave such a wonderful presentation on relational trauma um, at one of the plenary sessions. So I really hope you enjoy the show. All right. So welcome, Jen. I have Jen Turner here from the Trauma Center in Boston. And this is such a treat because um, Jen works with a lot of the key players in the clinical trauma world, which is like Bessel van der Kolk and Dave Emerson and some of these really um, pioneer sort of minds and, and voices in the world of trauma competency. So I think it's, it's, I'm so grateful that you were able to give your time and your expertise and share your knowledge with us today. So can you first tell our listeners a little bit about your background and the context in which you work and just educate us on the work of the trauma center. So what goes on there? Yeah. So, um, sort of my personal path is, you know, I'm a a yoga teacher. I came to this world as yoga teacher, certified as a Kripalu yoga teacher when I was my early twenties and taught, you know, for a while, found my way to becoming a therapist, kind of went back to school after also having a career in uh, music myself. And, um, And then, you know, kind of began even from school to be curious about the work that the trauma center was doing, um, and got involved in teaching their yoga classes for their, um, for the women that they serve, uh, while I was going to grad school. And so that relationship developed pretty early on in my career as a therapist and really, I think, informed my development as a therapist being, you know, associated and getting trainings at the trauma center and and doing this work with the body while I was also doing kind of mainstream therapy training. And so personally, I went on to then do work at, you know, an addiction treatment center um, at a psychiatric hospital kind of worked in that world and then found my way to doing more of a private practice. All the, all the while, though, um, working at the trauma center, so continuing to teach the ongoing 
women's classes that are for any trauma survivor who, um, you know, self-identified trauma survivor who's in therapy can, is welcome to come to our classes. And also during this time doing some work around, um, you know, we, I guess we did the first NIH evidence, you know, empirically validated study to examine yoga as a treatment for PTSD. And, um, really we're looking at complex trauma as the underlying of that. So folks who had had carried the diagnosis of PTSD for a long time, you know, often referred to as this treatment resistant PTSD. So I worked on the study and got the opportunity to develop the protocol for the study, think about the kind of forms that we were going to do, how we were going to teach the classes. And a lot of that was informed out of the work that Dave Emerson had already done in some earlier pilot studies at the trauma center to explore how do we need to modify yoga? How do we make it a safe space for trauma survivors? Yoga in and of itself isn't necessarily safe or helpful for trauma survivors. It can actually be contraindicated. And so, you know, how do we you know, change or shape it so that it works and that it's welcoming to, to folks who have had these kinds of experiences? So, and then have continued after the NIH study personally to, as we have grown ourselves, trauma sensitive, you know, the trauma sensitive yoga program at the trauma center, um, to do, to lead trainings, to do some writing and some other kinds of projects as well as continuing to teach. Um, so the trauma, trauma center, trauma sensitive yoga, which is what we call ourselves, TCTSY. So we're sort of, a a little subgroup in the trauma center as a whole. And the trauma center in general is both a physical place, right? It's a clinic that serves families, children, adults who have adults who have had trauma, experiences of trauma. So doing kind of ongoing therapy, doing groups, doing assessments. But also there's this giant component of research that happens at the trauma center, you know, in general, with sort of Bessel and Joe Spinozola at the, the forefront of that, have are incredibly prolific at you know doing all sorts of different research around children and um, adults and different modalities of treatment, including yoga, but also other modalities. Um, and then they also, you know, they have a really big component of training. So there's a lot of training institutes that they offer as well to other clinicians or even professionals that are in, you know, maybe yoga teachers or folks who are still serving or interacting with trauma survivors. Yeah. So it's kind of this big organization. It's a 30 year old organization that Bessel started, you know, way back to really explore and address this need of an underserved population that that's out there, you know? Yeah. You know, and I've heard, I've heard Bessel van der Kolk speak. I heard him interviewed on a, on a podcast actually with Krista Tippett on, on being. And, uh, I just thought that he spoke so eloquently and when he speaks about trauma, I mean, you really understand um, just the depth and the, you know, and the extent of what a person has experienced and um, why we need these, you know, trauma-specific and trauma-sensitive interventions. Mm-hmm. So you are, wow, you are so lucky you get to work with him. He is, I mean, he's really famous in the world of, you know, clinical, clinical sure. trauma care. I mean, really, his, I mean, his resources and his writing is, is so accessible, and that's another thing that I love about him. So, you know, one of the goals of the podcast is to really promote an understanding of how you know, ancient practices and teachings like yoga and meditation, for example, can be viable solutions for modern day challenges. 
So can you talk a little bit about the prevalence of trauma in our country and what constitutes trauma so that our, our listeners really understand and grasp um, the concept of what, of what we as clinicians are, are working with? Sure. You know, um, so I think the first thing that's helpful to remind ourselves is that, you know, the numbers we have around trauma are probably grossly inadequate in terms of representing the prevalence because many people do not report or name what's happened to them as trauma. Um, but some of the stats that are out there, sort of recent statistics are that, you know, one in three women, um, report, experiencing rape or physical violence or stalking by an intimate partner. One in four women report having experienced sexual assault. One in six men will be sexually assaulted during their lifetime. You know, in eight out of 10 rape cases, the victim knows the perpetrator. Uh, you know, in 2014, state agencies um, found a total of 702 thousand cases of child abuse. And so that's enough kiddos to fill 10 football stadiums. And so we, if we think about, and again, that's just what's getting reported and followed up and investigated. And that's just sort of looking typically at sexual abuse and physical abuse. There's this whole other realm of emotional abuse, neglect that is really just beginning to get energy behind it and being studied as having the same kinds of impacts that we would typically think of as body harm that might happen in a family or in a relationship. And so, so those are some of the numbers that are out there. And then if we think about, you know, how do we define trauma? I think that it's the way that we try to approach it is that at the trauma center is even in our classes, it's defined by the individual because as soon as we start as providers and yoga teachers in a seat of power, defining it for people, it takes their power away. So that can be arranged from an experience of neglect growing up in a, in a family where parents are unavailable and the child spends a lot of time alone, cooking for themselves, perhaps parenting other kids that are in the home because mom and dad are unavailable in many ways, drugs, work, mental illness un, that's untreated. Um, to range from something that we might think about as more invasive, right? Sexual abuse and physical abuse and childhood, adulthood. And all of these things, though, you know, I think that we have to be thoughtful about, la again, labeling folks, because that's something that people sort of, I've found, need to claim for themselves or find for themselves. Um, you know, and then I think about, I know that we're going to get to a point around talking about relational trauma as well, but you know, that's a lot of the work that we focus on at the trauma centers when people do things to bad things to one another and less of the sense of an act of nature or, you know, some kind of physical disaster that's just outside of our control. It's someone that you know, or love or trust or someone that you should, in theory, know and love and trust, does something to harm you or violate you, takes your power away, doesn't see you, doesn't care for you as they should or they are responsible for, as a parent would. So, but I think that for me, a lot of it is really giving that, you know, what is trauma is giving that to the survivor, giving that to the client or the yoga student to 
sort of take that label on for themselves or identify that for themselves. And that can, that can really range. Right. Right. You know, when I did some, um, some EMDR training, um, I remember the facilitator talking about, you know, the big trauma, the big T trauma and the little T traumas, meaning that yes, there are these like, you know, five o'clock news trauma where you, you know, this horrible, horrible, tragic thing has occurred in the community. Um, like a, like a school shooting or, a you know, a, a five car, wreck on the interstate um, and that's one of those big T traumas and then you have the little T traumas which is like every time in your life somebody told you you weren't um, you were stupid or every time somebody told you that they didn't love you or you know so those things kind of build up over time and can also be valid traumas for people you know, and I and I and I think that's I think that's so um, empowering for the person to be able to define that for themselves. And I think you know, with the big T, little T, the only thing that I struggle with around that is that again, it's it's naming it for someone. It's what if for me, my experience of neglect felt like that was a big T, or my experience right. of whatever. Then it can then we're creating this hierarchy or sort of like a rating status when it's right. so personal and so visceral. And sometimes some of the things, you know, with clients or students that I've had the privilege of working with, you know, learning from them and their experiences, like it's not these experiences that are as devastating around having someone do something invasive to your body or some, or harm you, but it's the not being seen. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The not you know, that, that has such a profound impact, but how do you quantify that? That doesn't show up on the news. You know, that doesn't even show up in a lot of assessments that you might give a child in school or in a psychiatric setting. And so I, I do struggle with that big D and I know that that's out there a lot, but I, I kind of push back against that because I think that it, it actually can be limiting. And again, ends up invalidating sometimes the experiences that are quote unquote, more subtle or a little T, but that are profound. Now that is different than the trauma of daily life that people speak around like, oh, you know, I had to wait in line for whatever, whatever, or I have traffic every day of my life, you know, okay, that's not what we're talking about. And those things are frustrating and, and, and hard and difficult, but you know, I think within this range, we want to create a lot of um, breadth for people to have this, right. Right. to claim this thing of trauma, you know? Right. I, I completely agree with you. I think it's a wonderful, eloquent way to speak about that. Um, because I do, you know, I, I meet a lot of clients, you know, in my private practice who, you know, there is just a time from their life that they remember and it is so vivid and it is so lucid in that moment, you know, back in childhood where they just didn't get their needs met and that and the way that has impacted them along their, you know, spectrum of growth and development and the way that one time is showing up right now in their lives as an adult, it is, it is, it is profound. And so I think um, that is such a, you know, um, a beautiful way to think about it and speak about it. So we hear a lot of people talk about trauma-sensitive yoga. Can you help our listeners to understand the difference between a trauma-sensitive yoga class versus a general class? Because I think this is huge. I think this is important because, as you said, you know, in the beginning of of, of our conversation that a lot of people hold this idea that yoga is inherently therapeutic, whether you, you know, whether it's conducted, conducted in a trauma sensitive way or not. And so, you know, maybe what an individual session might look like using trauma focused yoga therapy 
and versus a group context and just what are some of the key components? Sure, sure. And I think, um, you know, I can speak to, because within the world of, you know, a lot of people are using this terminology, this trauma sensitive terminology. And so I can speak to kind of our approach, which is this, you know, this TCTSY trauma center, trauma sensitive yoga that is maybe different than how someone else is doing it. That might be, you know, in other places geographically or working with different populations, but sort of our approach is really, (laughs) there are many layers and it's sort of like, how do I distill down what is important, you know, or what, are some of the most important pieces. And I think that one of the overarching things I think a lot about is, um, that yoga is sort of the means to the goal, but it's not the goal, right? So you can interpret that a lot of different ways. It can mean that it's not about having perfect alignment. It's not about achieving or being able to do a certain set of postures or a certain series or, Oh, wouldn't it be great if all sexual abuse survivors could do happy baby? Well, who gives a whatever, you know, why can't we just let people explore and be present in their bodies? And so kind of throwing away a lot of this, you know, part, that was certainly part of my training around, you know, what's an advanced posture versus not It's like, it can all just be an opportunity to be present in our bodies. And so then how do we communicate that yoga is not the goal, right? It's a means to the goal goal. And so, and, and what is the goal, right? So the goal might be to have, to build a relationship with your body, to begin to even be curious or interested in your body, maybe even befriending your body. So some of the ways that we approach that is through changing our language because we want to be thoughtful. We have our words are really the most powerful thing that we can use when we're yoga teachers, especially when we're doing trauma sensitive work, because we don't move off our mats. We stay on our mats. We practice with our students where there's a joining that happens, right? Not an observing where we're standing in the front and watching people or pacing around the room. We're with them in the moment. And so we have our language. And so there's a lot of invitational language. Everything is actually an invitation. You know, I was certainly trained as a yoga teacher to do more command oriented because it was clear and there's value in that, but also for perhaps the survivor of trauma, then it can just feel like a reenactment. If I'm telling someone what to do with their body, we are trying to support people in reclaiming their body. So how do we invite them to move? You know, if you'd like, you can extend your arm overhead when you're ready, maybe step back into a lunge stance, you know, whatever, all along the way. Because what we also know is that for survivors of relational trauma, this interpersonal thing, predictability is really important. And so the minute that I might say, step your foot back, then I'm telling someone what to do. I'm taking their bot, their power away. So we want to continue to give, communicate that we're giving power. And then we really are interested in this kind of practice of interoception. So, you know, how do we feel what's within our own skin? How do we feel what's within our own body in the present moment? And in a way that's not trauma when both the sort of neurophysiology and what am I trying to say? It's like, it's when it aligns, right? My mind is in the present and my body is in the present and my mind and body know, and they're like talking to each other that I'm in the present, you know? And so that really, we try to cultivate that or explore that through, um, interoception. So inviting people to feel what's present in their body early on when we were doing this work, doing some of the pilot studies in, 
I mean, I guess this was even before I had joined the team in early 2000, 2001, 2002, 2003, I suppose that, um, Dave and Bessel were talking to clients and asking them, you know, what, what are, what's it like to be in your body and what do you feel in your body? And there was a lot of interesting dialogue around our clients reporting that they couldn't feel their body at all. Not even, yeah, there's maybe a part of it, but for some folks, there was no, um, ability to identify sensation in their body, which also helped us to recalibrate kind of where people were starting at. So using, yeah, go ahead. No, I just, I, just to jump in, just, um, can you define, so interoception, just for some people who may not have ever heard that term before, it's, it's the ability to feel and notice and observe sensations inside the body. Yes. So the sensation of hunger or, um, the need to go to the bathroom or, mm-hmm. um, you know, even pain sensation. So it's an internal experience. Versus something you would feel on the outside of your body or um, your ability to sort of navigate yourself through a door frame. That's more of that proprioception. So just just to clarify for folks. Perfect. Yeah, I know that's right. And I think we're interested in, you know, because we're doing yoga is this visceral muscular sensation. So we talk a lot about muscles engaging and disengaging. Um, and beginning to investigate and explore and bring a, maybe even a light of curiosity toward that. And so, you know, some other ways that trauma sensitive yoga might look different from a regular yoga class, you know, we don't touch our clients. I believe as a provider and a practitioner that safe touch touch is important, but I think that as a provider and in a seat of power, I'm not the person to give that, that that can be something. And in fact, we learned from our yoga Um, the NIH study that even though we didn't talk about touch, we didn't touch anyone that participants reported after 10 weeks of yoga, allowing their children to hug them, feeling more comfortable in touch in their marriages. And that to me is so powerful. You know, we didn't, it, there was something in there, you know, probably more to explore or unpack. Um, so we don't touch our clients. We don't move around the room. We really try to, again, focus in on this shared authentic experience. You know, what is it like to have two people, maybe a group of people, you know, moving in space together in kind of a somewhat synchronized way sometimes, but together in this collective experience, that's really different than perhaps the experience a lot of our clients and students have had in their relationships, in their families. So when I'm asking people to feel what's in their body, I'm also feeling what's in my body. I'm not phoning it in or, you know, just talking to it. I'm really grounded in my body and there's something there that happens. I don't know what the biology is behind that or what's happening neurologically, but there is some kind of connection and whether it's mirror neurons, we can think about that's happening or that feels like it's happening in the room where we really kind of show up and try to be present with rather than show up and watch or observe, right? How do we give enough space to our students for them to do somewhat what feels like this difficult work of going inward, of going within and feeling their own body, noticing, maybe feeling parts of their body that they've shut off for 10 years, 20 years, you know, that's, that's like heroic work. It's really challenging. And so as much as we can do to kind of get step out of the way to create that space while also holding the space for people to do that exploration is really the goal. You know, you know, I, um, I, 
I teach yoga classes in the community and I have a, a private yoga therapy practice as well, yoga therapy and psychothera- somatic psychotherapy. And uh, I have noticed that, because I only teach restorative classes now and I only teach kind of gentle meditative classes. Um, and I, I kind of have a hands-off approach just in general because I never know who's coming to my class. And so I feel like that trauma-sensitive lens can transfer and be applicable to any studio-based class that you're teaching, you know, as long as, you know, your students aren't showing up for a, you know, a, an advanced kind of arm inversion class, which I would never teach because that's not my practice, you know, not guiding people into any unsafe posture where they would need kind of an alignment adjustment or just allowing people to take care of themselves is so powerful to where I I just don't touch anymore. I don't touch unless there is some, somebody is in grave danger of like, you know, tearing their rotator cuff or something, which I probably wouldn't even get to that point in my classes because there is no risk of injury in that way. But I just think that it's, it's so applicable across the board because we really, if the statistics, you know, we, we, the, the prevalence of people, you know, and we just don't know, we don't know who's coming into our class. That's right. That's right. I would not want that person to not come back because they felt violated or re-traumatized. Right. And I think a lot of what I think that being transparent, both in a, in a regular studio that, or, you know, any kind of studio, but being transparent about whether you touch or not is really helpful. We've certainly had clients who have started with us or yoga students who have started with us and then gone out into the community and weren't even aware that touch was something that was on the table and then it happened or, you know, the dynamics of, of how much energy is someone spending trauma or not thinking about, am I going to be touched next? Where's tracking where the teacher is in the room that, that pulls away from their ability to actually go within and and know and feel their own body. I, I think it's an interesting exploration for us all as yoga teachers to think about, you know, why are we touching people? If people, if we believe that our students have choices and we want them to feel like they have choices in our classes, what are we communicating when we put our hands on someone? We're kind of saying they don't have choices. We're saying this is the way to do it. And it may be loving and kind, but people may not receive it that way. Or, you know, maybe we are trying to tell people the correct way to do it. And, and do we really know what's right? You know, everybody's body is different. And the way that I embody a form might look different the way that you do. And, and who is really to say what's correct? You know, we have different sort of anatomical alignments Mm -hmm. and, and all of that. And so it's been a really interesting process, I think, for us at the trauma center to begin to let go of some of this focus, hyper focus, and vigilance really on people's bodies. You know, trauma is a vigilance around people's bodies. What are you doing with your body? Where is your body? Is your body mine? So we're thinking about how can we contrast to that and say that's your body. You get to decide. You, if you want to push yourself really too far in a form, then then you can. I can't go in there and tell you, no, 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 don't do that because it's your body. And what we've really found is that there hasn't, I mean, you know, you never know with injuries, right? Like you can't really make claims about that because people could get injured in your class and never tell you, but we certainly, I've had no experience of anyone getting injured in my class after doing these classes for 10 years. Yeah, me neither. I thankfully knock on, knock on wood. I never have. And you know, 
I, I love that because, you know, I want, I want in my own body to find stability the way I feel stable in my body. And I want to find the ability to feel strong and spacious in the way that I feel that, not the way somebody else tells me to feel it. And I think that, um, you know, that is just, it just gives our clients such a different experience from what they're accustomed to and empowers them to to figure this stuff out for themselves and have more more self agency. Well, I want to I know I want to know real quick cuz we're talking about group context. So what do you work one-on-one with people? How would that work individually? I do. It's very similar, you know, and it, there are lots of iterations actually that we all sort of as facilitators of TCTSY work. So there's a one-on-one context. Sometimes we have found with, or we have definitely found actually with adolescents and latency age kids that doing really short increments is helpful. So a 10 minute, you know, jump in, go see Dave. Maybe it's at a residential program. Maybe it's at a, you know, a therapeutic school, um, 10 minutes of yoga. You choose some cards from a yoga deck, three cards, five cards, do it. And then you leave because there's a tension span. There's, you know, what we found is doing group classes with that particular population. It was really challenging. Um, there's just, there ended up being more policing or reprimanding or just, it was hard to get actually to the yoga. And so we do shorter intervals like that. I tend to do hour long individual sessions that we sort of break up into 20 minute intervals and touch base and see if there's anything that needs to shift what the person might need. And, but it it holds a very similar framework around choice and invitation. You know, I I still don't, and I just never touch my clients. So there's no touch and I'm practicing with them. Um, There's just a little bit more opportunity to tailor to someone's needs when you have a one-on-one because, you know, part of what we have learned and the reason that we don't use um, imagery or metaphors is that trauma is so individualized. You know, what is triggering for me is going to be different for you. And so when you work one-on-one, you do have the ability to take out certain forms that might the person might not want to do or that just are too activating for them. In a group class, there's just not that space. And so that is a challenge that's built in, you know, and, and certainly we, we can never create a space that is trigger free. That is just the reality of being in the world and having this history, but, um, we do our best and certainly there's more space for that in individual sessions, but, but they, they are, uh, certainly similar in nature. Do you do any, um, verbal processing? Like after you, you do, you know, you do shapes and movements and, and, you know, breathing and whatever it is that you have, you know, chosen to work on. Do you do any verbal processing with clients? You know, I, when I'm doing yoga and I have that hat on, I try to stick really close to the body typically because what I found is someone might say, you know, that was really, that stirred something up for me. It reminded me of this thing, or I had a flashback then. And we might talk just briefly about it, but we circle back to the body as often as we can because we don't have that safety built in to the relationship to really do that processing. Now, with my therapy clients, I'm beginning to explore more movement with them. And then that tends to be much more fluid, right? We're on the mat, then we're processing, we're doing all of that, and it's much more dynamic. But with my clients who come to me who are in therapy with someone else, we stick really close to the body because it, 
you know, I feel like it gets confusing and complicated and so often, right. And that's not to say that I would actually want to, that I would ever silence someone. It certainly come up, um, in a, in a recent yoga student, we're doing individual work. One of, one of my colleagues was, and she felt like the student did, if she didn't voice what was triggering for her, what was happening, like, oh, this reminded me of this specific thing. Then she was sort of silenced. So we navigated that and worked that through. But I think what is a sort of a danger, in fact, in this work is that, you know, yoga teachers can sometimes, and maybe everyone, but feel empowered to, oh, this person wants to tell their story. They want to tell me what's going on. And sometimes survivors just get flooded and overwhelmed by trauma content, but it doesn't actually feel good to share what's coming up for them. So I often like to give people a choice, you know, do you want to, do you want to keep talking about, you know, the trauma content? You want to move back to the body, you know, sort of just recircling back to that. So, you know, we try to really be clear about those sorts of boundaries because of scope of practice, because of, you know, predictability. I can show up with Jen for my one hour and we're going to stick to the body and she's not going to ask me invasive questions about my trauma. Then I'm going to go do my therapy on Fridays with my therapist. And that's when we do that kind of work. You know, that I think is actually pretty helpful. Nice. Thank you. So you gave such a wonderful presentation at the conference, uh, the International Association for Yoga Therapy um, in Newport Beach, California, where I had the honor and privilege of meeting you, um, which I'm so grateful for. And you talked about relational trauma in one of the keynote presentations. And can you unpack that term a bit and share with us how yoga not only helps to build the therapeutic relationship, but how it can be used as a vehicle to heal and or repair interpersonal relationships. So I know that's a big loaded question, um, but I would love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. Thank you. It was such an honor to be at the conference and I'm so glad to have connected with you. Um, so relational trauma, you know, I think that in its simplest definition, it is when people in the context of relationships and connection that people betray one another, that people harm one another, that, um, typically what we see is someone claims power and someone loses power and someone abuses their power. So whether that means in the dynamics of a a child in a family, the dynamics of a boss and an employee, um, in a romantic relationship and a friendship, but where somebody begins to claim the power and then someone loses their power and then abuse that happens in the context of that. And I think that there is, (laughs) I've been thinking a lot about this lately, you know, because relational, there's so many layers to this, but I think that yoga unfortunately doesn't inherently actually heal any of that. And there can be a, you know, what we I spoke a little bit about at the conference was that we can be in our, the relationship we have with students can in fact be a liability and we can reenact traumatic sort of pat, relational patterns quite easily. The betrayal that might happen, the manipulation un, unknowingly on our end, um, the loss of power. And so, that's why it's so important to us in doing this work and continuing to explore our motivation for doing it as practitioners is to think about how do we share power? How do we give power to our students and clients? 
And what is so unique about that is the body component, right? Because when there are acts of trauma that happen, they're so physiologically dysregulating, whether that's neglect, whether that's a physical you know, sexual abuse or physical abuse or something within that spectrum, the experience is so visceral and physical. And so as soon as we start to both engage in a relationship with our students and then engage in a relationship that is around the body, it's incredibly loaded. So that can create a real space for transformation, I think, but it also can create a real vulnerability because someone's exploring a relationship with their body also within the context of a relationship with a person who says they're safe, who says they're well-meaning, but how do I really know? And what we've learned is that survivors of, of trauma and that sort of fit into this complex trauma umbrella really de- often develop incredibly keen sense of when someone is trying to manipulate them or exploit them. So if they get a wind of that, it's totally triggering and dysregulating. And so I think yoga can have the potential in a lot of some of the, to me, yoga and its truest meaning and that it's really, it's about being in the present moment, right? It's about anchoring yourself in your body in the present. It's about cultivating a relationship with yourself and self as your body, self as however you conceive of it. And I think that in terms of other pieces, you know, we've often joke, um, Dave and I, Dave Emerson and I joke about like, well, could it be anything? Could it be trauma sensitive Tai Chi? Could it be trauma sensitive horseback riding? Could it be trauma sensitive, whatever? Maybe, maybe. Right. But I also feel like there is, maybe there's something about the actual asanas. There's something about noticing and feeling your breath and then the movement. I don't know. I don't know that, but I am curious about it because, because I've witnessed so much sort of transformation that's happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, thank you so much for clarifying that because I really want to help people understand that it's not necessarily like a prescribed sequence of postures that is going to heal your trauma. You know, like it's not how it works and that's, you can't just do, this is not a sequence for that will resolve all of your trauma and you will walk away healed. You know, this is more about that, that layer beneath, like what happens when you are in this shape and how you're perceiving sensation in that shape and how you are changing your relationship to your body in that moment and the thoughts and the breath. So I, I thank you so much for clarifying, you know, just how, what an intricate, deep process it is. I think that's real important especially in the context of, of healthcare, you know, in therapy. Right. And I think that, you know, what, what is true in my core belief around sort of healing from trauma is that there it's messy. There's no prescribed, I mean, if only, right. It's like, okay, do these 10 postures and then your body's going to be yours again, or do this for 10 weeks. And then da, 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 da. no, I mean, it's a, it's a journey. And I think that, creating space for that, creating opportunity for people to engage in classes and then disengage and not making any promises about what this, you know, if you're exploring a relationship with your body, you may in fact get 
destabilized. This may be triggering for you. And it's about timing. How, what, what kind of, you know, what's happening in your life outside of your treatment of your trauma that is either going to support or maybe sabotage this work. And when is the right space and time for you to begin to explore a relationship with your body in this way? I'm, I'm so grateful that I was able to, you know, learn about this stuff from Holly, who, you know, if Holly Black is a, is an amazing yoga teacher in Atlanta, and she is, a, you know, is, is trained at your center and is doing a lot of work with, um, you know, the VA center and her nonprofit and just bringing this idea of trauma-sensitive yoga to Atlanta. So, um, you know, thankfully, a lot, you know, so many of these concepts were familiar to me, but, you know, just talking to you is, is just really helpful helping to clarify. And, and I just, you know, it's, it's been such a, a wonderful conversation and privilege to speak to you today. So are there any resources that you would like to share? Um, where can people find you? Where can people find trainings, books, online resources, anything that will help them sure. to learn more? Sure. So we, um, we have a designated website called traumasensitiveyoga.com, um, where there's a lot of resources of all of the certified facilitators sorted out geographically. It talks about trainings that we're doing, any kind of news that's happening. Then also the trauma center has an incredibly rich website. So it's traumacenter.org that has, uh, tons of links and resources for, you know, specific, um, organizations that might be in your area or unique to the kind of trauma that you may have experienced, but also has, we've, I think we've bought the rights to most of the things that we've published. And so there's a ton of academic articles, you know, articles that have been written by Bessel, by Joe, by Dave, by our whole team through the years. That is, that is also really great resource for folks. So that's for sure. Another one. Um, I really am interested in this organization called healing tree, um, so healingtreenonprofit.org is the website. It's a nonprofit that just sort of serves to connect those who have suffered trauma with resources and has a lot of different resources on their website as well that um, would be useful, I think, to listeners, both as maybe survivors, practitioners, both. I know The Body Keeps the Score is really one of my go-to books, and I have it. It's a wonderful book by Bessel van der Kolk. Um, and among a lot of the other publications that he has he has put out. So, Jen, thank you so much for your time today. I couldn't be more grateful for this opportunity to speak with you. For everyone who's listening, um, the resources that Jen mentioned will be available on the show notes. And if you'd like to learn more about this podcast, um, you can visit um, our Facebook page, which is Ancient Tools for Modern Living, the podcast, um, which is also on my website, which is www.innerskytherapeutics.com. You can find the link to the podcast there. So thank you so much, um, everyone, for listening today. And uh, Continue to share your love and your light with all that you meet, and we'll see you next time. I really hope you enjoyed the episode. There were several things that I found to be quite meaningful in our conversation. The first is that we do not have the power to define another person's experience of trauma. And sometimes as practitioners, we really need to take a step back and allow the other person to define their own trauma and the meaning that unfolds for them. 
Second, um, I learned that when relational trauma has occurred, helping someone to reestablish their sense of power through the body can be so transformative, especially when we use these skills such as interoceptive cueing to foster present moment awareness. And I also learned that by befriending and rebuilding a relationship to the body, the ability to thrive and trust in relationships can also be restored. I love the idea of yoga as a shared, authentic experience as well. And again, all of Jen's information will be available in the show notes. So if you enjoyed what you heard today, please head on over to the iTunes store and please show us some love. Um, your, your ratings and your reviews really, really help others to find the podcast. You can also go to my website at www.innerskytherapeutics.com. And if you join my email list, you'll get a free PDF. It's called Yogic Tools to Manage Your Stress. And it's a lovely book that I compiled with a lot of really great tools and resources. You can also join our Facebook group. I would love to have you there in our community to continue to the discussion and connect. Um, So I'd like to leave you with this quote by BKS Iyengar today. Um, And it really, um, this whole conversation, um, I really feel It fits really well with this quote. So yoga allows you to rediscover a sense of wholeness in your life where you do not feel like you are constantly trying to fit broken pieces together. So until next time, may all beings be happy. May all beings be free from suffering and may all beings know peace. Namaste. Namaste.